yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I, I know what I'm talking about. Like, I gotta let them know. Time for me to let them know. Time for me to let them know about the podcast. Time for me to let them know about what's going down. Time for me to explain myself. Time for me to let them know what Wendell Wolf is all about. Check it out, y'all. Good morning, good afternoon, bonjour, bonsoir, que pasa, shalom, wassalamu alaikum, namaste, konnichiwa. I would like to introduce myself. My name is Wendell Wallace, the star producer, director of the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can never listen to. Wendell's World in Sports talked about what is going on in the everyday of sports from every angle, position, perception, point of view, and insight. What is going on in the NBA? What is happening in the NFL? The news and issues of college football and basketball. Sometimes might mention the sport of baseball, the sweet science of the brutal sport of boxing, and of course, my Georgetown Hoyas. 40 plus years of unhibited devotion, the absolute loves of my life, till death do I part with them from national conference and conference tournament championships through season of 6 and 25 and national embarrassment, despair, and irrelevancy. I will always be down with my Hoyas. So when it comes to my podcast, sports podcast listeners, sports fans in general, you will bow down. You will pay homage in the words of the tribal chief. When it comes to my podcast, acknowledge me. Wendell's World and Sports. Download, subscribe, follow, rate, review, like, and most importantly, enjoy any way, anyhow, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. Sports fans of all ages, faces, and places from every stadium, arena, and auditorium all over the world. May I have your attention, please? What well, time's coming when we're going to have to handy up? Handy up and kick in like men. Like men! It is now time to bring to your listening ears, hearts, and minds a sports podcast named Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Tell him how you feel. A podcast that gives you strong, passionate, unapologetic, uncompromised thoughts and opinions about the everyday happenings in the NFL. And college football to the NBA in my Georgetown Hoyas. Giannis fires one down and an exclamation point for Milwaukee. To any other sporting news of the day. And now, introducing the man whose love of sports was born and bred on the greatest Muhammad Ali, Lynn Baez, Magic Johnson, Bernard King, and Eric Dickerson, Wendell Wallace. Oh man, what is happening? Welcome to Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. As always, good morning, good abend, bonjour, bonsoir, que passa, shalom, wassalamu alaikum, konnichiwa, namaste, all those good things. I have special dedication going out to those who are listening to my podcast. Anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcast, Amazon iTunes, iHeart, Spotify, if you could do me a favor, if you are enjoying the podcast, if you are enjoying this episode, if you like my episodes in general, if you could do me a favor, if you could just uh, subscribe, follow, rate, review, most importantly, enjoy the most unique, 
entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to, I would very much appreciate it. And if you want to hear me speak about what's happening in the NBA and hear me speak about what's going on with my Georgetown Hoyas. In fact, I'm recording this video. I'm recording this audio right now talking about the NFL and my Georgetown Hoyas are losing to Northwestern. Again, Georgetown can't recruit anybody. Nobody from Georgetown can guard anybody on the perimeter. The pick and roll has been an absolute disaster. Our offense is out of whack. And Northwestern coming in in the second half to shooting three-pointer after three-pointer after three-pointer. And we're losing again with the same type of formula. We can't guard anybody. Inconsistent offense. And uh, three-point shooting defense being atrocious. Woohoo! Love it till death. Do I part as far as my fandom with the Georgetown Hoyas? If you want to hear me speak about that type of stuff, if you want to hear me speak about what's going on in the NBA, I still have some thoughts on my Kyrie Irving, that whole situation. If you want to hear that, if you want to hear that podcast, it's going to be coming out in a couple of days. Go over to my YouTube page, uh, subscribe to my page, like the video, comment, do all those type of things. But, um, Right now, we're here to talk about what is happening in the NFL. We're here to speak about what happened in the past weekend of the NFL. A lot of things happened in the NFL. The game of the week between the Buffalo Bills and the Minnesota Vikings turned out to be the game of the year. And if any other you know, game this season is going to supersede that, then Lord have mercy. Where, when, when is it going to happen? And sign me up for three hours of my life being dedicated to watching that game. Because Minnesota and Buffalo, that was something else. The uh, Vikings beat the Bills in overtime, 33-30. to The Vikings came back from a 17-point deficit in the second half. Outscored Buffalo 16-3 in the fourth quarter. In overtime, they won the game. And you know what was interesting? Because... Thinking about the last time we had the greatest game that I ever saw. This is unbelievable. This is nuts. This is bananas. This is crazy. This is memorable. Last time in the annals of the NFL that we had a game like that, the thing that pops off the top of my head, and probably yours too, would be um, the playoff game between Kansas City and Buffalo, right? That unbelievable game. And the fact that what made it so unbelievable, what made it so great, what made it so memorable was not really most of the game. It was near the end of the game. It was the comeback by Kansas City. It was everything that went into that game going into overtime and Kansas City winning that game with it being a playoff situation. That's what made it so memorable. It wasn't from the first quarter to the end of the game. The totality, the totality of the game itself is not what you say, oh my goodness, from the first play of the game, from the first quarter, that game was just unbelievable. It was the same thing when we speak about game of the year, and this was unbelievable, and this is going to be memorable, and all those type of things. It's the same thing that happened with um, Buffalo and, and Minnesota. Because for the first, what, three and the three quarters of the game, right? It was just your typical Sunday afternoon football game between two really good teams. But we saw Buffalo leading 27 to 10. There was a situation where Buffalo was in control. It was a situation where we were thinking about Kirk Cousins, again, throwing two bad interceptions, being Kirk Cousins, as we know that he has in big games. We were speaking about the Minnesota Vikings. A lot of folks were thinking about the Minnesota Vikings being, you know, overrated and this, that, and the other. They finally play a good team and you see what happens and this, that, and the other. Then near the end of the uh, third quarter, that's when things started getting interesting. That's when things started to turn around. That's when, when we started to say, okay, 
With about a minute 34 left to go in the third quarter, Minnesota trailing 27 to 10. Vikings running back Dalvin Cook runs 81 yards for a touchdown and makes the score 27-17. And you know people start bringing up this cardiac kids, Minnesota, how many times that they've been down, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but we're talking about the Washington Commanders. We're talking about some of the other teams in the league. We're not talking about the Buffalo Bills. We're not talking about the Buffalo Bills when you're playing the Bills at home. We're not, we're not talking about that situation. There's just, there's just no way. But a team in Buffalo, one of the elite teams in the NFL playing at home, there's no way that they're going to blow this league. There's no way that they're going to give up this league. So, yeah, Dalvin Cook ran 81 yards for a touchdown going into the fourth quarter. is 27-17. But, you know, were you, were you thinking to yourself, come back? Were you starting to get a little bit more curious? Were you starting to get a little bit more antsy? I was just like, all right, man, there we go. No big deal. Not really thinking in the terms that I would be thinking by the end of the end of the game. But then, in the fourth quarter, Buffalo had a chance to um, you know, put the lead back to uh, 17 or at the very most have it be 13, right? They went 67 yards, 13 plays. Took about six minutes off the clock, and then lo and behold, Josh Allen throws an interception in the end zone. And I think at that moment, so we really have to speak about halfway through the fourth quarter. It turned the Minnesota-Buffalo game, turned into a game that was entertaining, that was solid, that was a good game. All of a sudden, it became intriguing. All of a sudden, it, lay, it raised the level a little bit because it was like, okay, 27-17. We thought the Bills were going to come down the field and the position that they were in, you, you, you would at least think, right, that they were going to be kicking a field goal to make it 30-17 and all the intent and purposes with six minutes left that the Vikings couldn't come back from that, right? But all of a sudden, when Josh Allen threw that touchdown or threw that interception in the end zone and you saw him face dive on the floor like he had been shot, we kind of said to ourselves, did you think to all of a sudden say, oh, shucks, hold on for a second now. Something might be interesting here. Something might be brewing here. Something tells me I better stick around because this game is going to start to get a lot more interesting than it is currently leading up to this point. Vikings then, after that interception, went on a 13-play, 66-yard drive. A wonderful play call, by the way. C.J. Uh, Mann, the... Well, um, the fullback for the Vikings scoring on a touchdown all of a sudden. Now it's 27-23. You missed the extra point. Could have been 27-24, but that's when you started to say, wait a minute now. Wait a minute now. Momentum is now clearly with the Minnesota Vikings. Now, again, this game is starting to get even more interesting. It went from 27 to 10 with two minutes left to go in the third quarter, and you're like, no big deal. This game is going to be forgotten. I've already got my storylines, already got my talking points, already got my barbershop thoughts and opinions in my brain. And all of a sudden, it's 27-23 midway through the fourth quarter, and you're thinking to yourself, if Buffalo doesn't respond, if Buffalo doesn't do something, they're going to lose this game because you've got that feeling now. You've got the feeling that all of a sudden that the Minnesota Vikings on offense, they couldn't be stopped. So what happens? What happens after that, right? You see to yourself, Minnesota is in full control of this game. So after the Vikings touchdown, Buffalo went four plays and now lost five yards on the possession, took only 65 seconds off the clock, and you felt it. You smelled it. You tasted it. You could feel it. You saw it. 
you heard it from what was happening as you were watching the game with your homeboys and your homegirls and your parents and uh, your 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 your, um, your your kids and your relatives and such watching that football game, even watching it by yourself, watching it at the um, watching it at the sports bar wherever you were watching that, that game, whether you were vested in the Vikings or the Bills or vested in that game or not, you saw it, you felt it. From the stadium, from the vibe, from everything, it was like, oh, man. You know what? Minnesota's going to win this game. Minnesota's going to win this game. Now, how many times we thought that and things didn't um, matriculate that way? But, man, it was a situation where it's like, look, Minnesota got the ball back. 327 left to go in the fourth quarter. Viking moved the ball downfield to the Bills' one-yard line with 50 seconds left to go in the game. And, of course... How can we not talk about the catch? Not 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 just the catch of the season that Jordan Jefferson made. Let's, let's even go farther than that. How many levels up do you want to take that catch by Jordan Jefferson when we're speaking about the greatest, the most incredible, the most awe-inspiring, this is where I was, this was what I would... It was that type of play. If you take a, If you take a look at the moment of the game, that catch, regardless of what happens from here on out with the Vikings or the Bills or whatever, whether the Vikings all of a sudden lose the rest of their games and all of a sudden the Vikings win the Super Bowl anywhere else in between, don't make the playoffs, win the Super Bowl, whatever. From that moment on, that was a catch. That was a play where you said, I remember when. Now, I don't know how long that's going to last in terms of, you know, remembering that play. It depends on if you're a Viking fan. depends on the age group that you are. Maybe you're a huge Jordan Jefferson fan and trying to play in the NFL. You're trying to play the wide receiver. You're loving the game of football. You're in, you're in Minnesota. You're in one of the Dakotas. You're in Wyoming. You're somewhere around that region. You see that catch. You're a big Jordan Jefferson fan. If you're a young kid, that's going to last with you for a lifetime, man. I'm telling you right now. If you're a 10, 11, 13, 16, 17-year-old kid right now, and you're a huge fan of the Vikings, or you're just a huge fan of football, and you want to play football, and Jordan Jefferson is your guy, he plays the same position that you do when you're playing for your middle school team, or you're playing for your high school team, and you want to be that great, and you want to be that guy, if you want to be that talented, you are going to remember the catch by Jordan Jefferson for a lifetime. I'm telling you right now. Now, it might get a little bit hazy as you get a little bit older, but those feelings, those thoughts are going to be right there. Just like when Magic in Game 4 of the NBA Championship in 1987 where he made the junior skyhook over uh, Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish, and I ran halfway down the street, uh, street yelling and screaming, jubilation and joy because the Lakers just took over the game. And then the other jubilation and joy when I ran outside my house, it was like, I don't know, close to midnight on a school night, but I don't care. I ran outside my house, house running down, up and down the street, yelling and screaming when Larry Bird missed that uh, left corner jump shot, three-pointer that would have given the uh, Celtics the lead, the jubilation. That still resonates with me, man. We're talking about a situation where it's doggone almost 35 years later, and it still resonates with me in terms of my joy and my happiness and the gleam that comes into my eye. For those... Of a certain age. With Jordan Jefferson. I'm telling you right now kids. 
Y'all don't believe me. Y'all are going to remember that play for those who have a certain love affair with the Minnesota Vikings franchise or just a game of football or trying to play football or being at the wide receiver position. That catch by Jordan Jefferson was unbelievable. Again, after Kirk, Kirk Cousins was sacked on first down and third down by Vaughn Miller to set up fourth and 18, Jordan Jefferson made a catch. Was it, uh, I can say it was the greatest catch since OBJ's uh, catch down the right uh, sidelines against the uh, Dallas Cowboys where he introduced himself as a as a superstar in the game of football, right? That one-handed grab that he made with two fingers, right? So the catch by Jefferson was good for 32 yards, moved the ball to the Bills' 41-yard lines. After that play, both the Vikings... And the Buffalo Bills knew this. Jordan Jefferson could not be stopped or even slowed down. We're not going to be able to stop this guy. Now, the depleted Buffalo secondary didn't help none. But you you, you just got the feeling after you made that catch. I don't know if you believe in dense, dense, uh, destiny or any of that stuff, man. But it was just a situation where the Bills had to realize that they were in real trouble. If they didn't get the Kirk Cousins get to him early as far as the sack is concerned and he had a little bit of time to throw the football that the Bills were in huge trouble because they had nobody. I don't care what type of defense you were playing. I don't care if you went zone. I don't care if you went man. I don't care if you double teamed them. I don't care if you're in a nickel package, dime package. I don't give a damn. Jordan Jefferson could not be stopped or slowed down and it was reinforced tenfold after he made that catch on 4th and 18 when you would think, hey man, game's over. The game is over. How that Buffalo safety didn't knock the ball down instead of trying to intercept it, that's just a boneheaded play. But goodness gracious, sakes alive, let's not mitigate or let's not take away the play that Jordan Jefferson made because it was absolutely memorable and outstanding. So that play shook up the Buffalo Bills so much. It got into their head mentally so much that they gifted the Viking 15 extra yards on the next play. If you remember, with a minute 24 left to go in the game, Buffalo was called for unnecessary roughing, uh, roughness by tackling Adam Thielen out of bounds. That moved the ball to the 17-yard line, and you were thinking to yourself, hey, man, unless the Vikings decide to give this game away with a poor play or, or something, because I'm quite sure if you knew that Jordan Jefferson couldn't be stopped, that your homeboy and homegirls knew that Jordan Jefferson couldn't be stopped, that your parents and your children knew that Jordan Jefferson couldn't be stopped. I'm quite sure Kevin O'Connell and the rest of the Minnesota Vikings who get paid a boatload of money to realize this realized that Jordan Jefferson could not be stopped. So two more passes caught by Jefferson, moving the ball down to the Bills' one-yard line after stopping the Vikings on two fourth-down goal line stands. They got the ball back, Buffalo inside the one with 50 seconds left and you were just saying phew because at the very least you were thinking to yourself okay Josh Allen moving the ball because of a quarterback sneak but 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 even if the Vikings you know have the perfect defense or whatever at the very least it's going to be a safety right you you never thought at all that Allen would have fumbled the football in the end zone. At the very least he would have fumbled the football outside of the end zone right but they were so deep into the one-yard line, their own one-yard line after Cousins uh, didn't get in on the uh, quarterback sneak that Allen himself 
fumbled the football, fumbled it in the end zone, Minnesota recovered, touchdown. Oh my goodness gracious. The improbable happened. Oh my goodness gracious. 49 seconds left to go in the game. Eddie Kendricks recovered the ball in the end zone for the touchdown, gave the Vikings a three-point lead. Let me ask you something. Did you think the game was over? Even with that play, even with that, I can't believe it. This is unbelievable. I never thought this would have happened. Are you crazy? Are you nuts? Are you... Did you still think that the game was over? Because with 49 seconds left, I didn't. Because I thought to myself, Josh Allen is still going to have a chance to put this team into field goal position. Now, what happens when they kick the field goal is going to be anybody's guess. But I I, I believed that... um, Allen was going to move that ball and put it in position for the Bills to attempt a game-tying field goal, and that's exactly what Allen did with 41 seconds left. Guided the Bills on a five-play, 69-yard drive that finished with Tyler Bass kicking a field goal to force overtime. And in overtime, Greg Joseph put the Vikings ahead to stay by hitting a 33-yard field goal with 324 left in overtime. And then Josh Allen, second and 10 from the Minnesota 20. Fourth to pass over the middle intended for Gabe Davis, only to have Patrick Peterson, formerly of the Arizona Cardinals, intercepted a few yards into the end zone, ran out, right hand going, yeah, 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 pumping his fist, and then sliding like a, like a, like a baseball player going into second base, and that game was over. A classic, a memorable, a fantastic game within the parameters of the entertainment. Was it the best played game? No, there was turnovers, there were sloppy plays. I mean, the fact that what attributed so much to the memorable outcome of the game were the mistakes. So, yeah, if you want to take a look at it from another standpoint, yeah, it was sloppy, it was choppy, it was turnover-filled, this, that, and the other. You saw Allen turning the ball over. You saw Kirk Cousins turning the ball over. You saw um, Allen turning the ball over on that... Um, quarterback sneak to try to get out of the end zone and fumbled. You saw the Vikings giving up a chunk load of plays for Buffalo to kick a field goal to win the game. And then at the end, you saw Allen with an extremely poor decision that cost Buffalo that game against Minnesota. So yes, in one instance, you could say to yourself, sloppy, this, that, and the other. But it's just as far as an edgy as an entertainment vehicle is concerned, that baby was driving that car to entertainment land. And isn't that what we're all speaking about? Isn't that what we're all talking about? Isn't that what we're all watching the games for, along with if you're a fan of a team, you want to see them win, this, that, and the other? But I had no stakes in that game. I didn't make any bets. I didn't care who won between Buffalo and Minnesota. It was a situation where the game was just so entertaining and enthralling that, yes, it was something to behold. Wendell's World in Sports, at least for this season. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, okay, let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and speak about this, all right? What do you take away from this? Where are we going with this? Where do you want me to go with this? Where, how, when, what, why do you want me to discuss this? Should we be speaking about oh my goodness, I can't believe the Buffalo Bills, what's going on with the Buffalo Bills, more importantly, what's happening with Josh Allen. Do you want me to go and focus more on that route? Or do you want me to do the, man, Minnesota, they're for real, man. And recording this podcast the day after my Washington Commanders had the game of their lives and beat the Philadelphia Eagles and knocked them from the unbeatens somewhere in heaven, um, Nick Biak, 
Nick uh, Boacani and uh, Don Schuler are uh, toasting because there's no more undefeated teams in the NFL. Where should we go with this? What should be happening now? Should Minnesota be considered one of the elite teams? After the game that Minnesota had against Buffalo and the outcome of the Philadelphia-Washington game and the way that the Eagles played on Monday night, is there now room? And let's even expand this even further when we're speaking about the NFC with the way that the San Francisco 49ers played on Sunday night against the Los Angeles Chargers. Has it now become... In terms of um, the NFC. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. I forgot to mention about the Dallas Cowboys losing to Green Bay of all teams. After Green Bay lost to the Detroit Lions, scoring only nine points, the Cowboys lost to the Green Bay Packers in overtime. What does that mean, man? What is the significance? What is happening in the NFC? We're in the final push. We're past the halfway point of the regular season. Now, with our thoughts and opinions about who's the best team, who's going to be doing what, who, it takes a little bit more validity. It takes a little bit more substance. It takes a little bit more of an interesting tone because there's not 12 more games left to go in the season for these teams to turn it around. This is not a situation where they've got plenty of time to see what happens and fix their, their mistakes. Yes, it's not weak. 17 or, or 16 or 15 or something like that. But but what, what, what are you talking about here? What are we talking about here when we're speaking about the NFC? When we're speaking about who is the best team of the NFC? Because, I don't know, for the first 8, 9, 10, 11 weeks, everybody was up there talking about Philadelphia, Philadelphia, Philadelphia. Does one loss at home to the Washington, my Washington commanders, change your thoughts and opinions, especially when you see what the Minnesota Vikings did in beating Buffalo and the defensive performance by the San Francisco 49ers on Sunday Day Football. Are the 49ers, are the 49ers and the Vikings now legit contenders for the Philadelphia Eagles? Or, or should we even say, are the San Francisco 49ers and the Philadelphia Eagles legit contenders against the Minnesota Vikings because you can point to Minnesota losing to Philadelphia on the road week two Monday night football but you take that game away for the Philadelphia Eagles I got a question to ask who who have they beaten who have they beaten where you just kind of said oh yeah now they've been stomping on bad teams They've been winning games, maybe not playing up to the optimal level when you're speaking about games against Jacksonville and others. They really haven't had, they've had, they've had very little runs of, damn, that team is just dominant, this, that, and the other. But many people are sitting there talking about the Philadelphia Eagles are the best team based on the fact that they were undefeated, now the fact that they're no longer undefeated. Do you still feel that way? After this game against the Buffalo Bills, what's your thoughts and opinions now with the Minnesota Vikings, especially when you were speaking about, especially when you were talking about, well, hell, the Vikings haven't played anybody. The only team the Vikings played worth a damn before playing the Bills were the Philadelphia Eagles, and they lost. And you really think I'm going to put my uh, hey, 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 hey on Kurt Cousins? You really think that I'm going to put my hitch my wagons to the Super Bowl on Kurt Cousins? 
I don't care about Dalvin Cook. I don't care about that defense. I don't care about Jordan Jefferson. I don't care about any of that stuff. You really think that I'm going to put my belief in Kurt Cousins could be that guy, could be that quarterback that could step up in a big moment and get it done for the Vikings? We saw the best in the worst of Kurt Cousins in that game against Buffalo. Up until the fourth quarter, through two bad interceptions, then in the fourth quarter, he got hot and made some really good plays. Do you trust Kurt Cousins? And if you don't trust Kurt Cousins, what is it about the Minnesota Vikings then can you put your hat on? If you're a believer in Kurt Cousins, and when I say a believer in Kurt Cousins, I'm speaking about, you know, a, a, a guy who won't screw things up too much. Maybe a little bit more than a game manager. He's on the next level uh, ahead of someone like uh, a Jimmy Garoppolo or maybe someone like a, a, a Jalen Hurts or maybe someone who's just regarded as a game manager. Maybe Jalen Hurts is starting to remove that moniker or remove that label off of his style of play and his responsibilities with the Eagles. But Kirk Cousins, I think, is more than just a game manager. Now, he was a game manager near the end of the Mike Zimmer era in Minnesota. But now with Kevin O'Connell, um, I don't think he's no longer a game manager. But he's also not a guy who's going to have the responsibilities that a franchise quarterback is going to have, despite having a wide receiver who is an elite wide receiver in the game. I don't think um I don't think um Kurt Cousins is that guy is that Josh Allen despite the rough couple of weeks by uh Allen I don't think that he's Patrick Mahomes I don't think that he's uh at that quality but I also think that he's a little bit more than a game manager can that satisfy those who might have a little trepidation in putting their belief in the Minnesota Vikings moving forward. And again, how much of a Kurt Cousins situation do you play into when you're trying to figure out how good are the Minnesota Vikings? It'll be interesting, especially when you're comparing them now to the Philadelphia Eagles and the San Francisco 49ers. If you take a look, and if you really think about it, And you take a look at those three teams that I just mentioned, who I should say are the top three contenders in the NFC to win that championship. The Philadelphia Eagles, the San Francisco 49ers, and the Minnesota Vikings. And you take a look at the starting quarterbacks. Philadelphia with Jalen Hurts. Minnesota with Kirk Cousins. And San Francisco with Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm quite sure if I ask you to rank or rate those quarterbacks that you would probably have Jalen Hurts first because of, uh, you know, what you've just seen. Then you would probably have Kurt Cousins and then you would have Garoppolo. But when you take a look at it for real, you take a look at the success that each quarterback has had. And you take a look at what Garoppolo has done as quarterback of the 49ers. Yes, not in a role that would be given to an elite quarterback. But when you take a look at the experience, when you take a look at the success, and you compare them with Hertz and Cousins, I mean, if I'm going to believe in a quarterback who can get it done, strong argument can be made that it's Garoppolo. Why? Because he's done it before. And he knows his role. He doesn't have to go out there and throw 50 times a game. He can rely on that defense. He can rely on that running game. He can rely on uh, Debu Samuels. He can rely on Brandon Ayuk. He can rely on uh, Christian McCaffrey now. He can rely on that running game. He can rely on those guys. He doesn't have to go out there and try to do everything all himself. 
Knowledge is power and wisdom in half the battle in being successful in life and being a quarterback in the National Football League. Kirk Cousins and probably Jalen Hurts have more responsibilities toward their team being successful than Jimmy Garoppolo, but I think Garoppolo executes it better in terms of what he needs to do to get the 49ers to be victorious. So what do we say about that? What do we think about that? Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Buffalo Bill fans, can I hear you? Can you talk to me, please? I gotta hear what you're thinking right now. I'm just not talking about those from Buffalo, New York. New York. And the city is New York. And upstate is New York. <laughs> What's up, man? What's going on? What's happening? How you feeling? You still feeling confident? You still feeling good? I want to hear from you. Any um any concern? Should you P-A-N-I-C or R-E-L-A-X? Because this is the first time this season that the Buffalo Bills have faced some adversity. You realize that, right? The team that was supposed to not only win the Super Bowl, but have this quarterback be the MVP, and for most of the season was trucking along those lines. That Allen was the best quarterback in the game recently, recently uh, left behind by Patrick Mahomes. But for the longest, it was Josh Allen, MVP, Buffalo Bills, if not the best team in the league, one of three, right? I mean, maybe you had Philadelphia because they were undefeated, maybe. But who else were you going to have? Who else were you going to contemplate in terms of a team that's going to compete or be on the same level with the Buffalo Bills when they were rolling? Now, for the first time this season, the Buffalo Bills, my brothers and sisters, are facing some type of adversity. Buffalo has lost their last two games. They should have won those games, by the way, if you think about Minnesota and you think about the position they were in in the New York Jets, a team who I don't believe in in terms of being real threats for a championship, either in the division, the conference, or the entire league. But guess what? With the Buffalo Bills now losing their second game in a row, um, they're no longer leading the AFC East. In fact, they're not even in second place in their own division. Miami is number one in that division, followed by the New York Jets who had to buy. Miami beat uh, Cleveland. Miami leads the division. The Jets are in second. Buffalo is now in third place in the division. Oh, and guess what? That loss to the Minnesota Vikings dropped Buffalo all the way to sixth in the AFC Conference race. Just a half game ahead of the loss, or the one game ahead of the Los Angeles Chargers who hold the final playoff spot. My goodness gracious. What did I tell you? (laughs) This is the reason why I'm always going back in history concerning the NFL season this season. Because it's always fun. It's always laughable. It's always entertaining. When you hear some of these folks talk about, oh man, you know, week three, the Buffalo Bills, or week six, the Buffalo Bills, this, that, and the other. Buffalo Bills are the best team in the league. Josh Allen doing this. Who can stop the Buffalo Bills? This is a well-oiled machine. Josh Allen has finally got the answer to the test. All this kind of stuff, right? Now we're into the, we're, we're one game past the halfway point of the season. Now all of a sudden, Buffalo is sitting in a position where they're jeopardizing their playoff appearance or their playoff hopes, right? So what do you want me to do? How do you want to react? How should we react on this? 
Are we speaking about, oh my goodness gracious, overrated, I can't believe it, something needs to be done, this is horrible, this is terrible, what's going on, time to panic. Or should we just say, I'm sorry, aren't there eight more games to go? And, and we are speaking about Buffalo. And again, outside of a handful of teams, namely being the 1972 Miami Dolphins and the, what, the 2007 New England Patriots for the most part, name, name me a team that didn't go through some type of adversity. Name me a Super Bowl contender or name me a Super Bowl champion that somewhere, somehow down the road during the season wasn't faced with some type of adversity. You know, in fact, history lesson, kids, learn something. Learn something about the NFL. I want you to YouTube America's Game, where they have the season in review by all the Super Bowl champions, from the 1966 Green Bay Packers all the way up to the 2022 um, Los Angeles Rams, right? Take a look. I mean, not, not, don't, don't binge watch them, because they're about an hour. But just watch those episodes and and you'll see one thing. There'll be a common theme when they're speaking about, you know, a season and how they turn it, turned it around and won a championship, this, that, and the other. Those teams, with the exception of 1972 Miami Dolphins, and even the Dolphins had their critics. Even the Dolphins had to deal with Bob Reese being injured and having Earl Morrell come in and, and do a thing as a 38-year-old backup quarterback. So there was still some adversity with the Miami Dolphins, even though that they were winning. But you take a look at all of those Super Bowl champions. What was the main thing? What was the main common denominator that they had? They all faced some adversity during the season. Mike Curtis for the 19, <laughs> 1970 Baltimore Colts championship was talking about after we lost the game, we had a players-only meeting. We were down and out. We got embarrassed. Uh, the, uh, we, we got embarrassed, and we had to have a players-only meeting. John Madden with the 1976 uh, Oakland Raiders were speaking about there was a point in time during the season where we had to face some adversity. There was a time in, when the Cowboys won their first championship with Roger Stallback and Craig Mortensen um, going in and out of the lineup uh, 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 at the quarterback shuffle during that type of thing and, and Stallback um, talking about his anger and talking about his frustration and talking about his disappointment and talking about if this is the way it's going to be and I'm going to be alternating snaps with Craig Morton, then I need to go to Coach Landry and tell him, look, man, I'm 27 years old and I don't need this bullshit. Get me out of here somehow, some way, because this shit ain't working. Dwayne Thomas winning a Super Bowl MVP and not even talking to any of his teammates because he was upset because of the salary that he was making. You go through all of this stuff. You go through the history of the games. You go through the history of the Super Bowl champions and you will find adversity. You talk about the Los Angeles Rams last year winning themselves a Super Bowl. It wasn't a situation where they didn't face any adversity. They faced plenty of adversity. In fact, they faced so much adversity. The fact that they had to go out and get Von Miller and Odell Beckham Jr for them to finally win that championship on their home field in the Super Bowl. So I'm not saying that the Buffalo Bills, without question, are going to turn things around and win a Super Bowl, but I'm saying for those who might be questioning or for those who might be panicking or for those who might be concerned, give it more time before we start talking about, oh my goodness gracious, I'm interested. Now, this is the fun part of football. And I know being a fan of Buffalo, this might be a little bit, huh, for you, but come on, man, work with me, listen to me, learn from me in a second. This could be interesting. I'm 
interested to find out a team like the Bills, who have the talent to win the Super Bowl, a team like the Buffalo Bills, who have the mantra to win a Super Bowl, a team like the Buffalo Bills, who are expected to win a Super Bowl. I'm interested now to see how Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs and Vaughn Miller and Sean McDermott and all these guys, I'm interested to see how they react to adversity. Because we haven't seen this before, right? With the Buffalo Bills, when they have been put in this position. So I'm interested to see exactly what's going to be happening. I'm interested to see exactly what's going to be going on with um, Josh Allen and if his play can improve from after two mediocre weeks overall against the New York Jets and the Minnesota Vikings. Taking a look at the remaining schedule here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. Looking at the remaining schedule for Buffalo. Next week, they've got Cleveland. Then for Thanksgiving, they play at Detroit. Then on Thursday night after that, they play at New England. Then they've got the New York Jets, the Miami Dolphins. They're at Chicago, at Cincinnati, and then with New and uh, end up with New England. Take a look at those teams I just I just uh, told you about. You tell me. Cleveland win or lose. I see they bounce back and win. Um, Detroit on Thanksgiving. What do you think? You're going to win or are they going to lose? It's Detroit. They're going to lose. Oh, excuse me. It's Detroit. The Lions are going to lose. I don't care what they've done the last couple of weeks. They're losing uh, to the uh, Bills. Then, wouldn't you say, if you take a look at the rest of the schedule, with the exception of that game in Cincinnati, what do you think? New England at New England on the Thursday? Is that going to be the most difficult game that they're going to have the rest of the season? Look, I'll go over the schedule again. Listen, Cleveland at Detroit at New England, then New York, Miami, at Chicago, at Cincinnati, in New England. So I'm thinking Miami. We'll find out how real Miami is. Will they have to go to um, Buffalo in December and play at Cincinnati? That'll be an interesting game. But for the most part, hey, man, this is a, this is something where let's, let's see what the Buffalo Bills are made of in terms of their, of their heart, in terms of their character. Now, the interesting stretch is going to be for the Bills week 13 through 15 when they play at New England on the Thursday night, the Jets, and then Miami at home. Shouldn't they go at the very least 2-1? and one? Glass half empty, 1-2, 2-1? I mean, you say, okay, they're going to lose to. I don't see them losing to the Jets at home, man. I don't. And then if you want to say at New England, because Belichick is Belichick in, in, in New England, who's only a game behind the Bills right now in the AFC um, East. I mean, you, you want to throw that in there? You want to throw that in there? But am I crazy? Are you crazy? If we decide that the Bills should go 3-0, and that they should end the season maybe then 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. 6-2? 7-1? Is that crazy? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know what's going to be happening. We don't know what's going on. Miami is 7-3. They have their bye week uh, this upcoming Sunday, but they come back in two weeks and play at home against Houston. That's a win. Should be. Then after that, they play at San Francisco, then on the road against the Los Angeles Chargers before playing at Buffalo. So a realistic record for both of those teams when they meet on December 18th? What do you think? Let's go Let's go, um, Let's go. go glass, glass half full thinking, Okay. With Miami and um, with Miami and Buffalo, 
13 weeks in, what do you think those records should be? Glass half full. 9-4? 9-4 for both teams when they meet? Let's go glass half empty, thinking. Miami, 8-5, losing to San Francisco and the Chargers. Buffalo, 9-4 again, losing to New England on Thursday night. That's the only thing, man. I just... Look, I'm, I'm sorry, Jet fans. I'm sorry, Curdy B, but I just can't... I, I, Zach Wilson... As your quarterback, I just don't see it. I don't see that offense keeping the pace. I, I I know they got themselves a pretty good defense, and I know with the running game, which takes the responsibility out of Zach Wilson to uh to uh, win a football game for him. But man, I, I'm just thinking to myself, the Buffalo Bills just have to turn it around. The Buffalo Bills have too much talent. The Buffalo Bills have too much at stake. I don't think that they're going to whimper. I don't think that they're going to retreat. I don't think that they're going to um you know falter in a situation like this, but I'm just interested to again to see how the Buffalo Bills react from that. Even if they beat Cleveland, who's going to have Jacoby Brissett at their quarterback? Is this going to be a dominant victory? Is it going to be a solid victory? Or is it still going to be a victory that's going to leave you kind of like, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us speaking about what this game between the Buffalo Bills and the Minnesota Vikings. It was fantastic. Um, and then taking away, you know, picking at the carcass of this game to see what meat we can chew on and uh, and uh, devour. Josh Allen. Hmm. I don't know, man. <laughs> what, what, I don't know. Josh Allen. What's your level of concern regarding Josh Allen, right? Second game in a row. Allen's been playing inconsistent in those games against Minnesota on Sunday, 29-43, 330 yards. Those, those look impressive, right? But one touchdown and two interceptions. He also ran the ball six times for 84 yards where, I mean, here's a guy who has, what, a UCL injury or his, his elbow is a little bit uh, tender. And um, he was up there. I mean, he was not sliding, especially after he threw that first interception in the end zone in the fourth quarter. My man was like angry. Josh Allen was running angry. He was looking to run over somebody. Find me a safety. Find me a secondary guy so I can hit him and hit him hard. This making sure that the quarterback is protected and treating the quarterback like they got skirts on. Sorry, I'm going to say it like they've got skirts on. And it was it was not that was not Josh Allen. Josh Allen was like, you better treat me like I'm doggone Jim Brown, uh, Earl Campbell, Eric Dickerson, I mean, you know, Cookie Gilchrist for Buffalo Bill fans. You better treat me like that because I'm running over people if I can find them. Um, what do you think? I mean, this is the first time since becoming one of the more valuable or the most valuable and recognized great players in the game that Josh Allen is dealing with some type of adversity. How is he going to uh how is he going to recover from that? Because some of those things and some of the situations he's not throwing the ball as accurately as he can and all this kind of stuff, those were the question marks about him coming out of Wyoming back in the uh, day when he was drafted. And for the first couple of seasons it was kind of like, eh, I don't know, man, we still see some of those weaknesses in terms of his uh passing accuracy and stuff. Now for I don't know, the last season and a half, he seemed to have uh, gotten that under control, but the inaccuracy had reeled its ugly head again for two games. For the most part, in terms of the two games, which caused them the opportunity to win these games against the Jets and the Vikings. Man, what's up? What's going on? 
committed three turnovers, two interceptions and a fumble in the fourth quarter overtime period against the Vikings. Two of Allen's turnovers, again, led to touchdowns, and the third one ended the game. Allen has now thrown two or more interceptions in three straight games. Threw two end zone interceptions in the game for the first time in his career. What are we talking about, man, with Josh Allen? Talk to me. Since week five, six turnovers, five interceptions, and one fumble loss of Allen's last eight turnovers have come in the red zone with three coming in the end zone? I mean, that's the difference between winning and losing right there. Now, in the totality of the game, there's a lot of other things that go into play in terms of a team winning or losing to where you can't put the entire blame on Josh Allen, but he's part of it. He's part of it. Look, in Allen's first four NFL season, he had just thrown two red zone interceptions. Now he's throwing them at a crazy rate like he's doing now. How is he going to respond? What's going to be the key? And, and let me tell you something, man. You know this. You're a historian of the game. You know about this game of football, right? Joe Montana, Tom Brady, Steve Young, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, Patrick Mahomes. I'm, I'm naming the greatest, man. I'm naming Hall of Famers. I'm naming Super Bowl champions. What has been the common thread with them in their um, in their careers? They've been criticized. They've been counted out. You don't think Tom Brady was counted out in this last year with New England? You don't think that uh, they were talking about he's too old, he can't do this anymore, he should retire, that old Tom Brady's never coming back, this, that, and the other? You, you, you didn't hear that the last year he was in... Um, New England, Joe Montana can't get it done, especially after he came off the uh, elbow surgery, which caused him to miss a year while he was still in his prime. Does Joe Montana have anything left? I don't think that he has anything left. Steve Young, Steve Young can never be a quarterback that we think he needs to be. Of San Francisco. I was living in the Bay Area. I was living in the Bay Area after Joe Montana left and was traded to uh, or was uh, acquired by Kansas City, and then Steve Young became the quarterback. I knew all the bullshit. I was there. I saw it. I heard it. I heard on K- KNBR 680. I heard all that nonsense and bullshit about Steve Young being a running quarterback. He'll never be Joe Montana. So because of that, the San Francisco 49ers will never win a Super Bowl. I remember a game where the 49ers lost to the Buffalo Bills 38-35. to 38-35, and Steve Young had like four or five touchdown passes. The guy was absolutely brilliant, but the defense couldn't stop anybody, and Jim Kelly moved the ball down the field to kick a game-winning field goal. The talk on KNBR from Pete Franklin all the way down was... Get rid of Steve Young. Maybe you could trade him to the Oakland Raiders or the Los Angeles Raiders or wherever they were uh, migrating at the time. No, it had to be Oakland. It had to be Los Angeles. That's right, because I lived in Hayward. So that was, trade him. You got to trade him because you'll never win a Super Bowl with Steve Young. He's too much of a runner. He doesn't have the killer instinct. Joe Montana never would have let the Bills win that game. That was the talk, man. I was there. I was working down a daily city in the Bay Area. I was there. I was taking a BART home back to the station in Hayward. I was there. I was a couple of miles away from Hayward State, now East Bay University. I was there. I was just a stone throw away from seeing all those beautiful ladies in San Jose and Fremont. I was there. I was in the area where I could take this trolley car over and listen to some jazz up in San Francisco. I was there. I was there where I went to one of the greatest Chinese restaurants I ever encountered in Chinatown and San Francisco. I was there. 
Now I'm getting depressed the fact that I was there and I'm not there anymore. What was I doing? Oh, that's right. I ran on the money. Never mind. The point is the fact that, doggone, man, everybody faces adversity. Drew Brees, after he got injured, faced adversity. They said Philip Rivers was going to be a better quarterback and got rid of Drew Brees. You know, Patrick Mahomes, can he get the job done? Peyton Manning will never win the Super Bowl because he's not good enough to beat Belichick. All of this stuff, it happens. It happens to these quarterbacks. And right now, there might be some situations, there might be some talk, there might be some scuttlebutt, there might be some folks with the same opinion about Josh Allen. It happens. How does Josh Allen respond to it? Not just with words, but with actions. We're going to find out, man. We are definitely going to find out. And and, and this little blip in the road by the Buffalo Bills, it's not just clearly on the shoulders or on the throwing arm of Josh Allen. Hey, look, man, the Bills on defense have been depleted. When you speak about uh, the secondary for the Bills, the injuries that they've had, the two safeties around, and you see what they're playing against, or they see what you're up against, or they see that they're who's lining up for them, I mean, it's got to take its toll. Von Miller can only get to the quarterback so many times. I mean, and this is a situation on offense where is anybody going to be able to run the football? Because right now, Devin, uh, Devin Singletary and James Cook, they just ain't doing it. The Bills had 175 yards rushing on Sunday against Minnesota on 27 carries. From the outset, you're saying it looks pretty damn good, right? Well, let's take away Allen's 84 yards on six carries. So let's take that away and let's concentrate fully on the running backs for Buffalo. Singletary and James Cook combined to rush for 67 yards on 18 carries. Where's the balance? Against the Jets, Singletary and Cook, they combined for 12 carries for 39 yards. Josh Allen had more carries and more yards by himself than Singletary and Cook. You're not going to win like that. You're not going to win like that. So so these are some of the things, the injuries and other things to where, look, if the season craters, if the season falls off the cliff, the season doesn't go like the Bills are expecting it to. I mean, these are some of the things that we can point to and say, eh, okay, maybe that was the, maybe that was the situation. And then we have to take a look and then we have to ask them some questions about what's happening with Josh Allen, not in the point that we're going to trade him or cut him or do something stupid like that, but it's just a situation where, man, the Bills, for the most part, I mean, they were supposed to be winning the Super Bowl. What happened? All teams have injuries. I mean, so what's what's happening now? I'm not saying you break up the team. I'm not saying you fire the coach or anything like that, but it would be a huge miss. And you can ask some of these teams who had their window of opportunity to win a Super Bowl where they underachieve. Hey, man, ask the Green Bay Packers with Brett Favre over the last couple of years where they were uh, accumulating 13-3 records and losing. How many chances do you get to uh, try to win a Super Bowl? Just because the Bills have this team now and they've been really good for the past couple of years doesn't mean that this level of play and these expectations are going to be indefinite it could be another year it could be five years this could be the only year you never know man and when you got that opportunity when you got the momentum when you got that expectation and you got the talent you better take advantage of it because there is no guarantee in the nfl the way teams are constituted the hard salary cap injuries and such you you never know what's going to be happening from year to year two years so there you go Wendell's World in Sports I'm your host 
Wendell Wallace, so glad that you can be with us. Oh, man, why did I leave San Francisco again? Oh, that's right, I ran out of the money. Mm, I was watching that game between San Francisco and Los Angeles. Every time they show pictures of that city, I'm like, why why did I leave? What exactly happened? I mean, some of the greatest times of my life, man, with me and Mark Lawrence and Chris Ortiz and Laura Hamlin and the love of my life, Felisa Ham. I mean, it was just, I was having such a good time between the ages of, what was I, what, 22 and 24? Because I left, I left for my mom's birthday in May. And I think that was 1994. And I came out there like in 1991 or 92 from uh, Warrensburg, Warrensburg, Missouri. So imagine going from Warrensburg, Missouri to the Bay Area. And I'm 20, and I'm in my young 20s. Oh, oh, it was awesome, man. It was, I was, I was, I was living life, doing the wrong things as far as maintaining a lifestyle to where it was going to be conducive for me to uh, live in San Francisco, i.e. not having a good enough job to keep up with the cost of living and doing stupid stuff like spending money on alcohol and going out and partying and all that kind of stuff, man. There was a time where I went out uh, I went out, me and Ortiz went out five or six days a week. It was crazy. We took Sunday, I think we took Sunday and Monday off. Then Tuesday we went out, Wednesday we went out, Thursday we went out, Friday we went out, Saturday we went out. And man, we had ourselves a blast, man. We would go up with some of the girls from the um, uh, soccer team uh, up there at uh, Cal State Hayward. And uh, man, we had ourselves a blast, man. It was It was unbelievable. Oh, to be young and dumb and all that good stuff. It was, <sighs> why did I leave again? That's right, I ran out of money. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Um, Let's talk about the, uh, let's talk about the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> what was that? What was that? What happened to that vaunted defense? I was touting at the beginning of the season, talking about they're the best, and they've got they're they're the best because of the responsibility that they have to keep these keep the Cowboys in game and all that games and all this kind of stuff. What happened to the Cowboys defense, man? And what happened to the forty million dollar man known as Dak Prescott? What was that all about? Losing to the Packers? Losing to the Packers? <sighs> look, man, we all suffer bad losses. Everybody loses a game where they look back and just say, yeah, that was garbage. That was uh, that was rotten. That was foul. We spoke about how Buffalo is going to recover. How is Dak Prescott going to recover? Because I'm quite sure there are people up there talking about, well, wait a minute. If this is the type of performance that Dak Prescott is going to be given, why don't we just put in Cooper Rush and get rid of Dak Prescott and save ourselves 40-something million dollars? Number one, it ain't that easy to do that, you, you big dummy. But the second part is I'm not giving up on Dak Prescott, man. I'm not giving up on the Dallas Cowboys. It was a bad game. It was a situation where Mike McCarthy going back to uh, Green Bay playing a team that was desperate in the Packers who were hit rock bottom against the Detroit Lions. What does it mean for the Packers moving forward? Is this game the game that's going to turn their whole season around? Not with the Minnesota Vikings in their same division, unlike the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who won their second game in a row to now lead their division, the NFC South, with a devastating 5-5 five five record after beating the Seattle Seahawks in Germany, a team in Seattle who we don't know if that team is legit or not with Geno Smith as the quarterback. So, you know, hey, man, this, this, is, this is like 
something else. But after the game against the L.A. Chargers, are the San Francisco 49ers now in a better position, or are they now a better team than the Dallas Cowboys? The Cowboys are going to make the playoffs. I, I, I just can't imagine the New York Giants keeping up this pace to where they're going to be either in first place or one or two games behind second place in the NFC East or win, you know, 14 or 13 games. I can't see the New York Giants going 13 or 4. I can't see the New York Giants going 12 and 5. I definitely can't see the New York Giants going 15 and 2 or something like that. I, I just can't see it. Just don't buy it. Nope. Don't believe it. I think the Cowboys are going to turn things around. They got the best quarterback out of anybody I just mentioned. When you're speaking about Dak Prescott, yeah, I know he didn't live up to it against the uh, Green Bay Packers, man, but hey, shit happens. Let's see how well he responds. The NFC, Philadelphia, Dallas, San Francisco, Minnesota. What do you think? Where do you put them? Where do you rank them? Still a lot of football left. Still a lot of football left. So, yeah, man, go ahead and digest that. The Buffalo Bills, what are we going to be expecting from them after their first little foray into adversity bill what are we going to be seeing from josh allen with him being now the superstar and now all of a sudden it's like hey man what's up two games in and you're doing this that and the other you're playing this poorly two games in a row what's up josh allen how is he going to respond and of course the minnesota vikings legit Super Bowl contenders, better than the Eagles. The Eagles losing to my commanders. What does it mean for them? What are you going to be looking for out of them moving forward? Is this going to be the start of something to where the Eagles come back down to earth? Are they going to fly, Eagle, fly until they uh, reach the Super Bowl or reach the NFC Championship game with this? Just a blip on the radar for the Philadelphia Eagles or is a premonition or is it something more coming down the pike? Ooh, the NFL, just like sports, the most uh, entertaining, fantastic reality show on television. Why? Because it's absolutely, without question, reality television. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a blast to watch. See the teaser, nothing but a teaser. The teaser, nothing but a teaser now. segment of the podcast last segment of the program every time I hear that I have to say the greatest of them all the greatest of them all how much time and effort did I try to explain to the youngins where I used to work up in Mesquite hey man 
You want to know what soul music is all about? You want the true definition of soul? I can play you the last part of Aretha Franklin's uh, Dark End of the Street. I can play you some Isley Brothers. I can play you some Try Me by James Brown or Please, Please, Please by James Brown. I can play you some Solomon Burke. I can play you some Donny Hathaway. I can play you some Curtis Mayfield. I can play you some Levi Stubbs and the Four Tops. I can play you some Marvin Gaye. I can play you because there's so many different genres. There's so many different angles. There's so many different ways that you can define what soul music is all about. I can talk about Mary J. Blige. I can talk about Aretha Franklin. I can talk about Anita Baker. I can talk about Dionne Warwick. I can talk about, I can't talk about Janet Jackson, but you know what I'm talking about in terms of soul music, man. For me, for me, for me. You're talking about Mr. Soul. You're talking about the greatest. You're talking about just damn. You're talking about Otis Redding. I used to play that song for these losers and I used to say this is what soul music is all about. My definition of what soul music is all about. Learn it and then learn the backstory of Otis Redding. Learn it because it's only going to help you moving forward. It's only going to help you as you grow. It's only going to help you as soon as you get the hell out of this community. It's going to help you when you start looking and dealing with other people of other races, faces, and places. You should learn this stuff. You should know this stuff. You should ingest this stuff. You should devour with the knowledge that I'm giving you with this stuff. Or you can just stay in the same community that you're in and just do what you do. So it's your choice for those who are listening to this. Well, hey, man, I might be gone, but I'm still teaching and preaching. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you can be with us. Um, oh, man, how about college football, huh? Shall we get into that college football? Week 11, college football, nothing really changed with the top four teams in the country for the playoffs. Just got off work, so I haven't had an opportunity to see who the top four teams are, but I'm quite sure after Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, and TCU all won, I sincerely sincerely doubt that that there's going to be any change in the top four teams for the playoffs. Georgia beat Mississippi State. 45-19, 45-19, outscored Mississippi 28-7 in the second half. The win is going to earn a spot, earn Georgia a spot in the conference championship game against LSU on December 3rd. Stetson Bennett, the 24-year-old Stetson Bennett, threw for three touchdowns and went 25-37 of 37 for 289 with two interceptions. You know, here's Stetson Bennett, 25 years old. I wonder if he ever went after a freshman in college, number uh, age 17, that Matt Gaither would be saying, yeah, my man, that's what I'm talking about. Ooh, if you were only eight years older. Um, but he went 25-37 of 37 for 289 yards and two interceptions. Georgia had 179 yards rushing. But uh, really wasn't a strong, consistent running attack. If you take away Phil McConkie's kid, the wide receiver, Lad McConkie, um, touchdown around the 70 yards, that was about it. They had uh, two plays, in fact, where they went 104 yards rushing. So you take that away, Georgia averaged two and a half yards per carry on 31 rushing attempts. Now, I'm um, not going to sit here and disparage or make a mountain make a mountain out of a molehill about Georgia because Georgia said, do you want me to rewind the tape against Tennessee? You're you're up here, Wendell, speaking about we can't do this and we can't do this and you're comparing our quarterback to uh, Matt Gates and all this kind of nonsense. Should we put on the film of the beatdown that we gave Tennessee, you stupid motherfucker? Oh, you don't have to? Okay, well then continue to uh, talk about what's happening in the world of sports and do it right. Do you understand me? Yes, I understand you. So, look, 
I'm not going to be doubting Georgia. I'm not going to be taking any way, anything away from Georgia. Georgia was good enough on defense, but not overwhelming. Wendell, I, I'm just saying. Can I please finish? Trying to sound like a Phil Henry show. So Georgia's defense was good enough, not overwhelming. Will Rogers went 29 of 51 for 263 yards in the touchdown. Mississippi State rushed for 47 yards on 15 carries. Hey, look, man, here's here's the deal when it comes to Georgia. Speaking about this on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. Unless Georgia loses the rest of their games or two of the last three games that they're going to play, and that includes the college football playoffs, they're going to be in the they're going to be in the playoffs. The remaining games are against Kentucky, Georgia Tech, and the SEC championship game. They're going to beat Georgia. They're going to beat Texas, uh, Georgia Tech. And it really doesn't matter if they beat LSU or not. So the championship game, the conference championship game in one conference means absolutely nothing if Georgia runs the table and they go into that championship game in Atlanta against LSU and lose. Doesn't matter. I mean, they might as well just go ahead and set, set, set Stetson Bennett and all this kind of stuff. And because these games, speaking about the college, I'm joking about that. Calm down. What I'm saying is the fact that these games are going to be played on a neutral field anyway, so they're not even playing for a home field advantage. It's a situation where, hey, man, if you're Georgia, it really doesn't matter. You've got the best team. We don't, we don't care. Now, whether it be the Sugar Bowl or something like that, maybe they can get placed closer to home to where their fans can travel easier. But I think with Georgia going for the second straight championship, you could put those guys in Darfur. You could have the Darfur Bowl. Or you could have the, um, I don't know, the, the Iraqi Bowl. You know, you could have the Afghanistan Bowl. You could be having the national championship played in Lithuania or in in, um, in any of those places. And uh, Georgia fans would show up. So, Ohio State beat up, did what they did, did what they needed to do against um, Indiana. What was the score? 56-14. Yikes. C.J. Stroud threw for five touchdown passes with 17-28 for 297 yards. Ohio State has 662 yards of total offense, almost 350 yards rushing. CJ Stroud, the uh, is he the Heisman Trophy winner? Underwhelming. I, I mean, the the best football player in the game. Well, I I shouldn't say the best football player in the game because that might be some offensive tackle. The best or the most important football player in the game is Bryce Young. Okay, now, when you speak about Heisman trophies, because there is no definitive definition to uh, come up with the quote-unquote Heisman trophy winner, is he the quarterback? Is he the best player on the best team? Is he the one that's going to pull up all the stats? Is he going to be the one that's going to be most likely to be, likely to be drafted in the NFL higher? I mean, there's so many situations. There's so many angles. There's so many definitions. There's so many reasons for people to name a Heisman trophy winner that there really isn't you know, a a really suitable explanation that someone can put for someone to be unanimous. But um, if it was me, it would be Bryce Young. Well, you know, Alabama lost two games. Yeah, and if it wasn't for Bryce Young, they probably would have lost four. So, I mean, you know, for me, it's the best player, most valuable player, all those type of things. Most valuable player's got to be Bryce Young. But um, C.J. Stroud, huh? I mean, let's let's put it this way. C.J. Stroud... Wins the Heisman Trophy. C.J. Stroud is the leader of the pack to win the Heisman Trophy, right? Would you choose, and I'm not just talking about for the NFL, I'm just talking about for college. 
Would you choose C.J. Stroud as your quarterback or Bryce Young as your quarterback? Now, you're going to do well either way. So I'm not saying that definitively this is, you know, uh, a question where it has a two plus two equals four fact type of answer. But in my opinion, while you can go, you can't go wrong with either one. I would choose, um, I would choose Bryce Young. But Ohio State right now, undefeated. How are they going to deal with the running game? Because Myron Williams who rushed for 147 yards in the touchdown before leaving the game with an ankle injury in the first half. Um, how are they going to do? What's going to be happening? Because uh, Trayvon Henderson is not back yet. Um, and I'm speaking about the best, best player in the game. I have to agree with uh, the guys on Fox Sports, man. Um, Joe, Joe Clapp. Oh, I got, forgot the guy's name. But uh, the guy who was doing the um, Indiana-Ohio State game, Marvin Harrison Jr., the best player in the country. But, um, yeah, well, what's it going to be about with Ohio State not having their, their rushing attack? And when is it going to get back? When is Trayvon and Myram going to be back? How much is that going to mean in a game against Michigan where they're going to have to establish some type of line of scrimmage? And I think that more often than not, you establish the run, line of scrimmage by running the football because you know Michigan is going to try to be as physical as humanly possible and run the ball down Ohio State's throat. Now, their defense under defensive coordinator Jim Knowles, a new defensive coordinator, has gotten a lot better, held the um, Hoosiers to 270 yards, 11 first downs, and 3 of 18 on third and fourth down conversions. But, man, moving forward against the Buckeyes, if they can get past uh, Maryland and then uh, play Michigan on the 26th of November, then the uh, conference championship game, if they beat Michigan, how much of a how how much of a loss is Michigan or is Ohio State going to have with um, the loss of Williams and also Henderson if they're not allowed or if they're not able to come back and play in that game. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you can be with us. Speaking about the top four in college football, really nothing has changed. Michigan ranked number three. Um, hey, they did what they needed to do, beat a really bad Nebraska team, 34-3, went, uh, rinse, wash, and repeat, right? When you speak about the Michigan Wolverines and how they win a football game, under Jim Harbaugh after the uh, first couple of uh, years, the last couple of years, right? Run the football, strong running game, timely passing, strong defense, mediocre football from the quarterback position, shall I say. But when you have a strong defense and you run the ball 49 times and only pass it 19, then, yeah, you're going to be successful. Blake Cordham might be the best football player in the um, in, in the game who should be invited to go to New York. I mean, he did his thing over 150 yards as usual, 162 yards, running the ball 28 times. His longest run of the day was 12 yards. So it was just a consistent battering of Blake Corum into the Nebraska, the Black Shirts defense, who turned out to be black and blue. Michigan, again, ran the ball 49 times for 264 yards, threw it 20 times for 148 yards. Nebraska had 146 yards. Total offense in eight first downs. Strong, dominant defense, great running game, physicality, and quarterback play that just ain't going to screw things up. For Michigan and Jim Harbaugh, is that good enough to beat Ohio State? It was last year when um, Michigan made Ohio State look soft as uh, toilet paper. But uh, what about this year? 
what's going to be happening this year? And can Michigan win a football game where they're asking their quarterback hardly not to do anything? So Michigan's remaining schedule there at home against Illinois, who's been faltering, and then they play on the road against Ohio State. With the way that the Big Ten West division is right now, where you have Iowa and you have Illinois and you have Minnesota and a couple of other mediocre teams battling it out, you would have to think that the winner of the Michigan-Ohio State game is going to be the one that's going to win that conference championship and then represent the Big Ten in the college football playoffs. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. It's not going to be both. Whoever wins that game between Michigan and Ohio State, I don't think that there's any type of uh, scenario that could be brought up where both Ohio State and Michigan would be in the college football playoffs. I don't think so. I mean, what, what does that say about TCU if they run things, if they run the table? They could be in the playoffs. They should be in the playoffs. What would it mean for Clemson, who would only have one loss, but then they win the ACC championship over North Carolina? What would that mean for the Pac-12? Unless UCLA beats USC, unless something happens with Utah, who's already lost twice, I believe they've lost twice this season, what, what would that mean? So, Look, for the SEC, yeah, I can see a scenario where, you know, you would have two teams. If LSU beats Georgia in the conference championship game, then yeah, Georgia, LSU would be in the college football playoffs. If TCU wins the table and wins the Big 12 championship game over Kansas State, who whoever they're going to play, then yeah, TCU is going to be in the playoffs. It's going to be that last spot. That's going to determine exactly who's going to be doing what, who's going to be going where. Um, TCU beating Texas. Quinn Ewers, get out of my face. Quinn Ewers, come on, man. Please, please, please. And I don't mean by James Brown. Let's talk about real quick, because I really wasn't paying too much attention to TCU because I don't believe him yet, even though it's Sunny Dykes, I should. But let's talk about the best game of the weekend in the Pac-10 or Pac-12 between Washington and Oregon. Washington going down. Uh, and beating Oregon at home 37-34. Then Arizona beating UCLA. What does it mean for the Pac-12? What does it mean for USC? What does it mean for Utah? What does it mean for all these teams moving forward in the Pac-12? And at one time, when you're speaking about Oregon being the best opportunity for the Pac-12 to be represented in the college football playoff, now that they're knocked out of contention, outside of USC, who still has some difficult games, especially when you take a look at that defense that uh, USC has right now that can give up, I don't know, 30 points a game to almost anybody that they play. And Jordan Addison, I don't know if he's going to be coming back, if he's going to be coming back, how healthy is he going to be to be able to contribute to be dominant like he was for uh, most of the season before he got injured? What's going to be happening with USC? So those are the things that we are going to be speaking about. As I mentioned before, Oregon losing to Washington 37-34 to have their 23-game home winning streak snapped. And then UCLA losing to Arizona 34-28. All right. That's good enough. I'm done. I'm out of here. All right, y'all. Turn off the uh, turn my show off. It's almost time for the class to end anyway. So it's been almost 83 minutes. I've enjoyed myself. I know you, you've enjoyed listening to this knowledge, listening to the sports talk, listening to what I have to say. As always, if you would, please, 
if everybody out there listening to this podcast, if you would please, I don't care if you're listening to this podcast in Vancouver, I don't care if you're listening to this podcast in Las Vegas, I don't care if you're listening to this podcast in Plano, Texas, I don't care if you're listening to this podcast in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, I don't care if you're listening to this podcast in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, I don't give a damn where you're listening to this podcast, please do me a favor if you would, I don't care if you're listening to this podcast in the DMV have to represent, I don't care where you're listening to this podcast if you would please have a conversation with someone of a different gender of a different race of a different nationality if you could please just have a conversation and learn about that person and learn about where they came from and learn a little bit more about them so we can educate ourselves and maybe we can love and we can have respect for everybody, for every nationality, for every race, for every gender, for every creed, for every religion, for everybody on the planet. And we can start, man, we can start building that momentum and we can start building that foundation. Too late for my generation, too late for the generation above and below, but doggone it, man, let's do it for the kids. Do it for the high schoolers. Do it for the middle schoolers. Do it for the elementary school kids, man. Do it for those who are just starting college. Do it for them. Because they're the ones who are A, going to be taking care of us when uh, we're too old to be doing anything. And B, I don't want to live in a utopian society. I want my resume to be strong. So when I come to the pearly gates and the good Lord looks at my resume and says, okay, you might be sitting on this. You might be falling short on that. But you know what? Your heart is pure. Your heart is good. Your intentions are good. You've got love in your heart. You have no animus. You have no racism. You have no bigotry. You have no, uh, those type of negatives in your heart. And you try to abide by what I'm preaching and teaching, come on in. Your grandparents are waiting for you. Your dad's waiting for you. And Otis Redding and James Brown and uh, and Sam Cooke are having a concert tonight. And then afterwards, we have uh, Biggie. We also have Gangstar performing after that. So you're going to be up here forever. So come on up and enjoy the show, man. We've got an NBA going on where Hank Gathers is going to be going up against Len Bias with Red Auerbach coaching against John Thompson. Come on on. Come on down, man. The football game, we've got Johnny Unitas going up against Otto Graham with Paul Brown coaching the team and this, that, and the other. Come on down, man. We've got Hank Karen going up against Willie Mays facing Satchel Paige and Bob Feller. Come on in. So, man, the pearly gates for me in sports and music is going to be fantastic, so I need to do everything humanly possible that I can. In fact, let me end with this. Oh, man, let me end with this. One of the most, one of the first concerts I'm going to see when I get up to heaven, if I'm allowed in the pearly gates, I'm going to have to go see the Four Tops, man, because, man, I want to hear Levi Stubbs, the angel known as Levi Stubbs, start singing his songs along with Abdul Fakir and Lawrence Payton Jr. and Obi Benson. Woo, man, I want to hear my boys sing their songs. So I'm going to end with a little Four Tops, and uh, y'all be good to each other. I will see you next time when I see you or when I listen to you or when I speak to you, all those good things. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports, Obi, Lawrence, Duke, who's still living, but I mean, 85 years old. I mean, come on, man. Um, and uh, the captain of the ship, the legend, Levi Stubbs, go ahead and do your thing.
Darling, 